Welcome to Wild Speculation, a speculative fiction anthology podcast. I'm Andrew Rising, your guide on this journey through the strange, wonderful, and sometimes disturbing worlds of speculative fiction. The next stop on our journey will be to explore life after death and that age-old question of what happens after we die. So sit back, ponder your own mortality, and enjoy. Charon's Resignation Where am I? What the hell just happened? I watch as the woman who just appeared in front of me looks around frantically, trying to catch her breath. She doesn't actually need to catch her breath, but a lifetime of habits and all that. I wonder if she will be the one. As her eyes fix on me and her breathing slows, I introduce myself. Hi, Beth. I'm Thomas. What just happened is, you died. How do you know my... Wait, what did you just say? You died. Car crash. If you try really hard, you can probably remember bits and pieces, but the actual dying part is fuzzy for most people. I think the mind just tries to protect itself. She raises one dark eyebrow, incredulous. So she's one of those. Most people believe me when I tell them they're dead, though they have all sorts of reactions to the news. But every once in a while, I get one who doesn't believe me, despite this formless, shifting... What do I even call it? Place? Dimension? Realm? This... thing that we're in. And the ones who don't believe it are always the ones who get closest to accepting my offer. Look, I can show you the smashed up car and even your dead body, but in my experience, that tends to mess people up worse. Can you just take it on faith that you're dead? Take it on faith? Like televangelists want people to do right before they heal someone? No, thank you. Besides, I'm obviously not dead. We're talking, aren't we? Yes, we're talking. And yes, you're dead. So am I. Death isn't the end. Show me. Show you what? Show me my body. Prove I'm dead. Okay, but don't say I didn't warn you. I open a window to the realm of the living. Below, we see her little blue Ford Fiesta, front end smashed against a concrete barrier. Next to the car, her lifeless body is still lying where the paramedics tried CPR. They've given up. One is bringing over a body bag from the ambulance. What? What happened? I don't understand. I give her a sympathetic smile. I'm sorry, you got clipped by a drunk driver. I point to an old Chevy pickup on the other side of the road, its driver being handcuffed by police. He doesn't even look like he has a scratch on him. How is that fair? Death isn't fair from what I've seen, except that in the end it comes for everyone, and I've seen a lot of death. If it's any consolation, that guy's going away for at least five years, maybe even as many as twenty. Beth turns on me as I knew she would. Prison time for the killer is rarely a consolation for the dead. Five years? He killed me. He can still see his family or friends or whoever while he's in prison, but I'm just gone. Forever. She collapses, her tall frame racked with her sobs. I won't get to watch my son grow up. I put my hand on her shoulder, trying to seem comforting but having a hard time containing my giddiness. She is the 
perfect candidate. You'll get to see him again when he crosses over. Then you'll be together forever. At least, I think the other side is forever, but I don't actually know, since I've never been there. Beth looks up at me, tears streaming from her dark eyes. Jeremy's only three. What if he doesn't remember me? What if all I am to him is a face in a picture people say is mommy? Isn't there something you can do? Can't you send me back? I don't have that kind of power. I just help people transition to the other side. There's no going back from here. I gesture to the window, where the paramedics are zipping up her body bag. She glances down at the body, but her attention is drawn to the edges of the window. Can you only open a window to the place where I died? Or can we see other places as well? Anywhere in the entire material universe. Want to stand on the surface of Mars? I open a window to Mars, red sand and rocks stretched out before us with a yellow sky above. It looks like we could step right through. Explore a nebula? I open another which swirls around the crab nebula, showing it from all sides. Or maybe read confidential material over the president's shoulder. I open a third in the Oval Office, with a perfect view of the President's Open Intelligence Briefing Book. He skips the Russia page again. Typical. Whatever will help you accept what has happened, so that you can cross over. I already know what she will ask to see, and it isn't any of the impressive windows I've opened. She doesn't even look at them, her pleading gaze on me. I want it to be her idea, so I wait for her to say it. Can you show me my son? Of course. Just think about where he is right now. Picture it in your mind. And... I close all of the windows and open a new one on a group of small children in a daycare playroom. Beth's eyes fix on a small boy contentedly building with blocks by himself. It looks like the daycare hasn't gotten news of the accident yet. Oh, Jeremy. Jeremy, my boy. My baby boy. She breaks down in tears again. I know it's hard, but it's time. Say goodbye. No! Her eyes meet mine. I can't leave him. I have to stay and watch. Please, can't I just stay here? I work to contain my smile. I've almost got her. I don't want to appear overeager. No, you have to go. This is a place of transition. It's time to go to the other side. But, Beth looks back at her boy longingly. If she puts the pieces together for herself, I might have a better chance of convincing her. After a moment, I see it, that spark of understanding in her eyes as she turns back to me. Earlier, you said we're both dead. Does that mean you're human too? Yes, of course. Then how do you stay in this place of transition, as you call it? And why can't I do the same thing? Well, it's my job. I'm a psychopomp. I ferry souls to the realm of the dead. And as such, my soul is tied to this place. So, you escort souls from life to death, and when you're not doing that, you can open up windows to look at anything you want in the material universe? That's right. Okay, where do I sign up? She's mine. Well, there aren't exactly any openings at the moment, so I don't know what we can... Unless... Unless what? 
I mean, if you really want the job that bad, I have been thinking about retiring. This whole Angel of Death thing is a great gig, but I've been doing it for quite a while now. Maybe I'm ready to finally finish my journey. Beth doesn't need to know what I mean by quite a while, or just how ready I am to move on. Oh, would you? Would you please? Still, it's a huge responsibility. Should I really hand it over to someone I just met? I promise I'll do the job right. I'll do anything. Please. Well, you do seem like the trustworthy type. You mean... I've made her beg enough. Just enough to be convincing. Okay, it's yours. Congratulations on your new job, Psychopomp. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you! As she hugs me, I feel a twinge of guilt. But I have put in my time and then some. I'll show you the ropes, walk you through the process. Beth steps back, watching me. I wave away the window and sit down, gesturing for her to do the same. So here's the deal. People die all over the world all the time, right? Right. And when they die, they meet... The psycho-whatever. Is this a joke? I can't tell. The psychopomp. That's the job title, but let me tell you what it is we do. You ferry them over, right? There's more to it than that. It's like we become their personal assistant, their death coach. First, this means making sure they believe they're dead. After that, if they need some kind of support, a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear, or a window to see a loved one and say goodbye, we provide it. Then, when they're ready, we send them on their merry way. Beth frowns, looking around. Merry way? Which way is that exactly? Doesn't matter. Once they're ready, just point them in a direction and send them walking. Their intent will get them there. Their intent? Yeah, this place, insofar as we can call it a place, is raw potential. We're only humans, though, so we can only do limited things with that potential. One thing we can do is create a path to whatever's next. Her eyes widen. Oh, is that how you create those windows? Yes. You just concentrate on what you want to see, and it appears. Like a magic mirror. I like to wave my hand so that it looks like magic or something, but it's not necessary. Beth closes her eyes for a moment, then waves her hand to the side. A new window forms, showing us Jeremy again. He's fighting over some blocks with another child, the tower he was building reduced to rubble. Can I... can I hear him? It's possible, but I've always found that to be quite difficult- No! My blocks! Mommy! Both Jeremy and Beth are crying now. It reminds me of my own children waiting for me to join them. I half expect to start crying myself, but instead just feel... empty. A man walks into the playroom, scoops Jeremy up in his arms, and comforts him, holding him tightly to his chest. Beth's sobs get louder. Your husband? She nods. He must have gotten the news about... She can't say the rest. I put an arm around her. I know. It's hard painful even watching the people you love through these windows, watching them mourn you, but even worse is watching them move on after they're done mourning. I remember it all too well, my wife getting remarried, 
her new husband walking my oldest daughter down the aisle at her wedding. Another man in a place that should have been mine. I don't really wish that experience on this woman. Still, I can't believe I'm about to say this. If it's too much, you don't have to take the job. I'd understand. You can go on and wait for them there. No! Beth looks at me as if I suggested she murder someone. No, I can't do that. It's better to bear the pain of watching them live without me than to not see them at all. I wince at that. I haven't seen my own children in much longer than one lifetime, and it's because of this stupid job and its stupid rule. This job I'm getting Beth to take for me. Still, I can't stay here any longer. Just remember, you can't watch them all the time. When a new soul arrives, you must do the job. She tears her eyes away from the window. What happens if I don't? It's not good. First, you temporarily lose the ability to manipulate the potential. That makes the time between helping souls mind-numbingly tedious, and the actual process of helping them that much harder. And then, if you still don't help them, you stop getting souls at all, and you are here, alone, with nothing to do until the punishment is lifted. How long does the punishment last? I don't know exactly. Without the windows, it's hard to judge the passage of time. Nothing changes here, and we don't need to eat or sleep. I do know that it isn't as long as the years it feels like. A few weeks, maybe? Beth raises an eyebrow. You sound like you have experience with those punishments. I grimace. Yeah, I don't know if the guy before me was ignorant or just an asshole, but either way, I didn't know about the punishments until I was experiencing them. Wow, that sucks. Thanks for the warning. I'm glad you're not an asshole. I can't meet her eye. Clearing my throat, I stand up. It's not like the stream of souls is constant anyway. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, and you'll have plenty of downtime between helping them to watch your family. Beth stands up and looks around again. I was wondering about that. Why haven't we seen any new souls? I'm sure plenty of people have died since... since I did. Ah, that's simple. One soul at a time. As long as both of us are here, no other souls will show up. But even if one of us were gone, we've probably still got a little while before it's our turn again. Our turn? Wait, how many psychos are there? This time, I see a definite smirk on her face. Call us whatever you want, but remember, you're one of us now. And there are millions of us. Millions? Can I meet them? Not exactly. Once you take over, you'll be able to vaguely sense them enough to know when your turn is coming, but that's really it. Then I remember how she got sound from the window on her first try. At least, I haven't been able to contact any of them directly, but given how quickly you managed to tap sound, you might be able to. You're definitely more of a natural with the whole intent thing, so who knows? Well, I'll have a long time to work on it, so I might as well try. Anything else I should know? She's acting like I'm her friend, like I'm doing her a favor, which, I admit, is what I wanted her to think, but still, I try to think of anything else that can make her stay easier. Then I think of something. It's something I can never forget, but try hard not to remember. Beth definitely needs to know this, though. 
I take a deep breath. With practice, you can learn to use the potential here to affect the material world in small ways. I'm pretty sure that stories of ghosts that weren't fake were us, pushing into the world just a little bit. That's amazing! I'll be able to- Don't try to contact your family with it. Beth takes a step back, putting a hand to her cheek as though I'd slapped her. What? Why not? I start to cry at the memory. My Alice. My precious girl. It's not good for them. Not good at all. Not good how? I sigh. I hoped she would just take my word for it, but I knew she wouldn't. So I tell my story. My youngest daughter was 15 when I figured out how to contact her. It scared her at first, but soon she was delighted. So was I. I was so absorbed in the little games we played, I didn't notice, or maybe didn't care, that she was neglecting the rest of her life, how the rest of the family was worried. Finally, she told them she was communicating with me. The whole thing must have disturbed her more than she or I realized, and it disturbed our family. When they didn't believe her, she killed herself. Oh, that's not the worst of it. She said in her note that she did it to be with me, because I'm the only one who really loved her. But she's not with me. She's in the afterlife while I'm stuck here. Oh, I won't try to contact my family. I'll just... I'll just watch. And now I understand. You should go. Go, be with your daughter. Unless there's anything else I need to know? I hesitate. But Beth's right. I should be with Alice. I've waited so long. There is one more thing. I pull a piece of paper out of my pocket and hold it out so she can read it. This is the Psychopomp contract. It's very straightforward. It simply states that you agree to help fairy souls to the afterlife until the end of time. Beth's head jerks up. End of time? You didn't say anything about that. I only want this gig until Jeremy lives out his life. I wave away her concern as if it's no big deal, but I can't wave away the guilt I'm feeling. The position has to be filled until the end of time, yes, but not by you. If you look at the contract, it's already signed. By me. That is the contract for this posting. Once you use intent to put your signature on it, mine will fade away, leaving only yours. Then you'll be able to feel the connection to this place and the other psychos. I force what I hope looks like a playful grin. Similarly, when you're ready to be done, you find a replacement among the souls you help. Beth looks relieved, grins back. For a second there, I thought you were pulling a fast one, Thomas. All right, I'll sign. Let's get you to your daughter. She closes her eyes, but I find myself reaching out, taking her arm. I realize suddenly that I don't want to make someone else go through this. Wait, you were right. I was trying to pull a fast one. I've been in this place for almost 300 years. My daughter, Alice, died 290 years ago, and I've been trying to find a replacement ever since. This is the closest I've ever gotten. If you take this job, you'll be able to watch Jeremy live. But once he dies, it might be decades, centuries, longer before you can join him. You should know the risk. Shock, then anger flash across Beth's face. Then understanding. I get it. 
You wanted to see your daughter again. I can't say I wouldn't have tried the same thing in your place. Thank you for telling me, but I'm not going to take the job. I try to nod calmly, hoping my heartbreak doesn't show. I know, and I'm sorry. I should have been upfront with you. It's just that you seemed like the most likely soul in almost 300 years to accept my offer, and I'm a bit desperate. She touches my arm. Hopefully you won't have to wait much longer, but I can't do it. It's too much of a risk. I nod, blinking back my tears as she opens another window. Beth's husband and Jeremy are walking up to a house together. She brushes the window with light fingers. I think I'm ready to go now. Well, you know the drill. Pick a direction and start walking. Beth looks up at me. Goodbye, Thomas. Thank you again. She looks sad, but hopeful as she turns away. I watch her as she disappears into the formless potential of this place. When she's gone, I sit down. That was the closest I've come in my entire time here. And I threw it away. I force a laugh at myself. A bitter sound. I guess this gig really is till the end of time for me. Not quite. I spin around, startled to hear another voice. Beth stands there, holding my contract. I never gave this back to you. I shrug. It doesn't matter. It's part of this place. It would have ended up right back in my pocket. She looks down, studying the piece of paper. No, I don't think it will. With one swift move, Beth rips the contract in half, and it dissolves into formless potential. Wait, what? No. How? I'm unable to form coherent thoughts, let alone sentences. Beth smiles. The human population has plateaued faster than we anticipated. Turns out, for the first time since the epidemics of the Columbian Exchange, we have a surplus of psychopomps. So I've been visiting those who have been at this a while. Some had no interest in turning over the job, but most, by contrast, were too willing to trick me into taking it. But a small few including you, didn't let me sign myself away, despite desperately wanting to pass on. And so, Thomas, your contract is cancelled. You get to go be with Alice. Who are you? Beth smiles as she begins to dissolve, her disembodied voice echoing around me. I am formless potential, the in-between, the boundary, the river sticks. But you can call me Boss. You're free to cross over. You know the drill. Just start walking. She has completely disappeared, but I can hear the warmth in her voice. I do what she said. Start walking. And I can feel myself dissolving, crossing over. There's a flash of light, and for the first time in centuries, I finally see her. Alice. Thank you for listening to Charon's Resignation. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to watch for the next one, in which we will explore a familiar story from Judeo-Christian mythology, but from a very different perspective. I'm Andrew Rising, and this has been Wild Speculation. Until next time, 
let your imagination run wild.